Hey, uh, it's a good reminder because our sermon's actually about uh, servants and our inadequacy in, uh, in the face of the king, right? Um, so, inadequate servant. Hey, uh, kids, if you haven't done this yet, the, those sermon aids are on the back table there and uh, that'll help you follow along with the sermon if, um, if you guys want to grab that. Uh, and for the rest of you, would you guys go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll notice I didn't say Habakkuk. Whenever I've been up here, I typically preach on the fourth Sundays. Pastor Brian, our interim pastor, preaches the uh, other Sundays of the month. Uh, and we had been doing Habakkuk, and now we're doing a new series, a series that I've called The King and His Kingdom. Here's why. Here's the rationale, okay? Okay. So if our, if our last series was to help us work through confusion, confusion at the Lord, confusion at his ways, and just as a church, maybe the feeling of being confused because our lead pastor left, and what does that look like? How do, how do, we, how do we deal with that? How do we adjust? Well, this next series, whenever I'm up here on the fourth Sundays, it's meant to help us think through the changes that are coming, right? It's meant to help us... Uh, Maybe, maybe explicitly address some of the questions that we are implicitly asking, things that we haven't maybe admitted to ourselves, admitted to other people around us, but they're meant to help us think through, especially four questions. So I'll give you the four questions now, okay? Because I imagine we're all dealing with these at some level. First, how do we think about a new lead pastor, right? Second, how do we think about our new building? because that's coming up here in a little bit. Third, how are these changes going to affect our mission? What we see as our purpose, what we do as Holy Cross, right? The goal behind everything. And then fourth, how do we deal with church growth? When we get into a bigger building and now suddenly we start seeing faces that we don't recognize, how do we deal with that stuff? So those are the four questions. Um, And that means... Because we got four questions, this, this next series is going to be a topical series. That means we're not going to work through a book of the Bible. Instead, we're going to look at different passages in Scripture that I think will help us think through uh, these four questions. But more than anything, what's more important than even looking at the changes coming ahead and trying to figure out these questions, what I hope this series is going to do more than anything is ground us in what doesn't change. And that's the king and his kingdom purpose. That's what this series is about, the king and his kingdom purpose. And so this week we're going to ask the question, how, how should we think about a lead pastor? How do we think about the new guy coming in, right? All right. So the passage for today that we're going to use, 1 Corinthians 3. So would you stand with me if you're able and willing out of respect for the word of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's in your Bibles, in the bulletins, or in the projection on the screen behind me. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now, you are not ready, for you still are of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants 
through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, but you, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifested for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that y'all, that's the word there, that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Friends, it's the true word of the living God. And he gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, um, you are king. We are your people. We don't deserve to be in your presence. We are low and, and full of sin and distracted and just ask for your mercy. Thank you that we get to be here. And, and today, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. I pray from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, would you not let us leave here unchanged? Would you, King Jesus, remind us who is on the throne? Would you shape our hearts to become more like you? Jesus, we want to love you, and we want to know your love. Would you do that today, we pray in your name. Amen. Go ahead, grab a seat. All right, hey, uh, just a few expectations we got to set ahead of time. Um, I'm not going to be able to address everything in this chapter. You may be like, why did he read a whole chapter? Well, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to pull out themes throughout the whole chapter to help us address our question, right? Uh, how should we think about a new lead pastor? And here's the other thing. Um, here's the point for this sermon. I want us... I want us to look at our expectations. Sometimes we have expectations and we, uh, maybe we don't admit them, we don't say them out loud, we don't actually realize that they're there. And so what we're trying to do in this sermon is we're trying to take them out of our heart, look at them, and be like, okay, are these warranted? Are these the kinds of expectations that we, we should have on a lead pastor? Um, and how would God have us orient and shape our expectations? Does that make sense? It's done, out of, it's done out of a place of love. Uh, here's why. I don't want us to be disappointed. I don't want us as a church to, to 
have set expectations on somebody, like to have, I mean, we all do, we all have this, right? Like we've got this fuzzy idea of who is going to be here full time, don't we? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, and I don't want, when that person comes, for us to be disappointed because guess what, they're human, right? And I don't want, I want to protect him too, right? When he comes, he can't bear the weight of our expectations and, and all our hopes and dreams. So, so we got to look at them. Got to look at them and evaluate them with scripture. Does that make sense? Good? All right. Uh, just a heads up. This may feel a little painful at times, but I promise you this draws back to the king. Okay, so let's do that. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, or 1 Corinthians uh, 3. Everyone preaches from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, we're jumping right into the middle of a letter, so we've got to set a little bit of context, right? First of all, uh, who is writing this? Well, the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who Paul was, uh, he was a early Christian missionary who planted a ton of churches throughout uh, modern-day Turkey and Greece and even potentially as far as Spain. Um, and he was tasked with this glorious news. King Jesus had come, the king of the world, and he had come to rescue rebels and broken sinners, and the world needed to know about that, to come be part of his people, right? Now, because we're in the middle of like a pastor search process, can you imagine if you got somebody's resume who looked a little bit like Paul's, right? Think about this guy. He's a brilliant thinker. He was highly respected, a, a, a driven man who accomplished a lot. So you, on his resume, you'd see things like this, right? He planted between 14 to 20 churches. He mentored a lot of young men into like these superstar pastors. He was a theological phenom who helped the church sort through all kinds of thorny theological issues in his day. He, uh, he had a prolific writing career of many beloved books, which guess what? We're still reading today, 2,000 years later. Look at that. That's something impressive, right? And people were disappointed with him. The Corinthian church, like, eh, he's not much to actually listen to in person. He actually doesn't have much of a presence up front, you know? All right, so that leads us to the next thing about context we got to think through um, is who is Paul writing to? Also, I should have said this earlier. Your outlines say comparison. It should be servants up there. So what you got on the back of the screen here, servants is the first point here, okay? Uh, so who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the Corinthian church. which is a church located in Corinth, Corinthian church. Uh, where's Corinth? It's on the Peloponnesian Peninsula in modern-day Greece. It was a Roman colony, probably like the third most important port city in all of the Roman Empire. So it was a pretty big deal, right? Uh, and it was an incredibly wealthy city with possibly up to 700,000 residents, which is huge for, ancient, uh, for the ancient world. This was a mega city. So very important, cultural melting pot, uh, and given its importance, it was like a, a frequent stop for traveling orators. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but think of them like people who deliver TED Talks. We like TED Talks. We like to be uh, stimulated with new thoughts and new ideas. Well, imagine that in a day before TV, when all you had were TED Talks. Man, you, you'd fill an arena with people who, who could 
turn a phrase and capture your attention, deliver it well. That's what these orators did. They were well respected among Grecian culture, okay? Now, Paul had planted the church in Corinth about five years before he wrote this letter and he'd served there for about two years, making it one of the churches where he served longest in his ministry. Um, And then he had moved on. And in the meantime, in the intervening three years, that church had seen a couple other superstar preachers. A guy named Cephas, who you guys better know as the Apostle Peter, Jesus' good friend, most likely. You can deduce that from uh, verse 22 and then chapter 1, verse 12. And then there was another one, a Jew named Apollos, who was a native of Alexandria in modern-day Egypt, who was well-known for preaching really well. So, I mean, I don't know who everybody listens to nowadays, but, uh, you know, about five years ago, ten years ago, Think of Tim Keller, think of John Piper, somebody like that. Everybody knew this guy's name. And they had served in Corinth. All right, here's why this matters. This city was important. And its residents were really proud of it. This church was an extremely wealthy church. It had poor people in there too, but, but comparatively, this was a very wealthy church. And it had an impressive pedigree of pastoral leadership. And guess what? that had almost ruined this church, pretty much, right? So what's Paul addressing here in verses one through four? And then you see more of it in the context, chapter one, verses 10 through 17, all right? If you look at it on the surface, you might be tempted to think, well, you know, they were forming, they were doing the comparison thing and forming pastor fan clubs. Uh, We like this guy better than that guy, right? but it actually, it's, it's worse than that. It goes a little deeper. They weren't just past, pastor fan clubs. They were forming personality cults built around their favorite rock star pastor. See? And, and then in the process, belittling those who they thought were part of an inferior cult. This makes me a better person because I'm with this guy. Can't believe you're with him. So you can imagine conversations that might have happened around there. Oh, you were baptized by Paul? That's cute. I was baptized by Peter, and he was Jesus' direct friend. Or maybe, ah, so you listen to Paul's podcast. I used to, too, when I was uh, new to Christianity and stuff. But hey, have you heard Apollos? (laughs) There's real preaching. That brother will give you some meat, right? Can't believe you're kind of stuck on Paul. Kind of get it? What's the problem? They were not only just ranking and comparing pastors, right? They were then building their identities and their sense of worth around servants and not the king. Around servants. And hey, uh, does it sound familiar? We can do that a lot in our day and age too, right? Um, And so we're gonna talk about that. It's, it makes sense because we have expectations and we will often uh, misdirect them. I'm not going to say those expectations are wrong, but they're just maybe misapplied. We bring them and we put them on God's servants instead of on the king himself, right? So let's, let's think through us a little bit. What do we often look for in a, in a lead pastor? Uh, and I'm going to list some expectations talk about how 
they are legitimate, but then I'm gonna also issue us some cautions too, okay? And again, please hear me. Uh, I wanna protect us by rightly orienting those expectations, and then I also wanna protect the incoming guy from being crushed by expectations that he can't meet, okay? All right. So here's what we're gonna do. One of the, just, you know, Think, think as though you were, you were putting out a resume for a pastor job. Like what, what sort of descriptions would we have out there? Well, I think heading the list would be, he's a good preacher, right? And, and that is a reasonable, legitimate expectation. We should want that. The word of God matters to us as God's people. We want somebody who can present that word, right? Um, we are right to expect it, and, and we should hope for it. But... Here, here's where I wanna, I wanna work on us a little bit, right? Um, what do you mean by good preacher? See, a lot of people, and the Corinthians would have been a part of this, they would say, well, a good, a good communicator, somebody who's, who's entertaining, somebody who keeps my attention, somebody that I can go to church and, and come away, you know, he got me going got me going. He's a good orator. And, and what I want to say, like, I think that's important, um, but there are plenty of good communicators out there communicating something that isn't the gospel, right? And so your PSC, your pastor search committee, I guarantee you they're going to find you a good preacher. But here's, their, here's, here's what they're looking for, the gospel. They're looking for a communicator who will preach God, the Lord's truth. So we should expect our next lead pastor to be a man who communicates the Lord's truth in an understandable and engaging way, right? But there's another caution that we can tack on to this. Um, because maybe we're thinking right now, exactly, that's what I want. I want good doctrine on Sunday mornings. That's what I want to hear. You realize the Corinthians would have said that too? In verses two to three, right? Like they accuse Paul. Paul only feeds us with spiritual milk, with the basics. But Apollos, he gives us real meat. How does Paul handle that critique? Right? He tells them, hey, Corinthians, you can't handle meat because it's just making you more proud, right? Oh, look at everything I know about God and his ways. And you aren't even living out the basics. Hey, friends, and I think this is especially a danger for folks in our tradition. We love doctrine. We love truth. Here's my question. Do you want a good preacher who will preach good sermons full of doctrinally rich truth so that, so that we can just be entertained on a Sunday morning? Or do we want to live out that truth? Do you want to take it into our hearts? Here's my question. Do we want to grow in a deeper appreciation of King Jesus and his good news and how that should shape and mold our lives? I think that's why you're here. But let's not lose sight of that. We want to be all for someone coming and preaching God's truth to us so that we can then embody that and live it out, right? So we should expect the next lead pastor to be a, a servant who communicates the Lord's truth in an understandable and engaging way. 
so that we can respond to that, right? If it's not understandable and it's not engaging, then sometimes we don't respond. So that's, that's why we look for those things. So we can respond to it. Okay. Uh, moving on. So often we're looking for a good preacher, good thing, but just make sure you know what you mean by that. Uh, second thing, we often look for a, a leader, right? Somebody who is a decision maker who will take ownership of our church and ministry. We want somebody who will be a doer and kind of like champion ministry, be at the forefront. That's a good thing. All those things are good. Um, the next lead pastor should be a visionary. He should be praying over the Lord's direction for our church. Um, he should be uh, someone actively giving thought and prayer and effort to advancing the Lord's work. But and here's, here's my caution for us, right? Um, ministry should never, ministry does not belong to any single man. It belongs to the church. It belongs to us as God's people right? Uh, and, and here's why I mentioned this, because sometimes we, we can want a leader and give someone authority so that then we can offload our responsibility. Does that make sense? Like, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so's here, now they can do it. You know, and that's, y'all, can, can I just say, I ran the numbers earlier because of uh, something I was curious about. We have an overwhelming number of people heavily invested in ministry in our church. Most churches, they talk about, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's not the story here at Holy Cross. We are heavily invested. We are a healthy church. I'm really proud of us for that. Really proud of us. My, my caution, right, in this is I also know it's, it's wearying. It's tiring. And it, and it could be when the next lead guy gets here, we'll feel a little bit of like, all right, okay, we can offload some of this stuff. I can put my feet up and, and take a break and be ministered to for a change, right? Um, but the moment we do that, we become like the Corinthian church. You know what the problem with the Corinthian church was at root is they made church all about them, about getting their needs met, about... Uh, exalting themselves and, and, and finding that place and status. It was all about them, right? It, it stopped being about King Jesus. It stopped being about his work and his ministry. Um, and they, they were on the path toward death, and, and that's not going to happen here, right? Because ministry doesn't belong to any one man. It belongs to us, to us as God's church. Kids, Y'all are part of the church. Ministry belongs to you too. I'm proud of you guys. You all serve. You look around, a lot of our teenagers are involved in things like Holy Cross Kids and nursery. You pull the chairs down on Sunday mornings, a lot of our kids are involved in that. When we have interviews with our kids in the, on, uh, for communicant membership, I ask them, what do you think you could do to serve? They respond. It's good stuff. We're proud of you. This is what it means to be part of this church. So we should expect the next lead guy to be a servant who prays and seeks the Lord's direction for the church, someone who gives thought and prayer and effort to advancing the Lord's work here and who equips us as a church to do the same thing, right? So, and this one, um, we wouldn't quite say this if, if we're, it's on a job description. 
And this one may be a little painful. Uh, sometimes we look to a lead pastor to be like a, a crisis manager. Does that make sense? We might use terms like uh, a counselor or a mentor. Um, and those are good things. We need that. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But what I want to caution us against is, is um, maybe thinking of this person more in terms of a hero, a rescuer, or maybe like a father, you know, someone to walk us through those moments of crisis. Listen, Jesus was drawn to people in crisis. Jesus saw need and he stepped in and he met it. So we should expect that our next lead pastor will do the same. He should have that same kind of heart to come alongside people in crisis and point them to the king. But what we, what we need to examine in ourselves, right, is are we looking for somebody to fix us? Are we waiting in the hopes that like, man, my, my marriage is just barely hanging on right now and I hope when the lead guy comes, he can do something about that. My kids, I've got, I've got one I'm really concerned about. I hope when the next lead guy comes, he can do something about that. It could be marriage, it could be kids, it could be job, it could be uh, relationship with other people in the church, all that sort of stuff. Um, the next lead pastor will point you to the Father, point you to the King. But please, for your sake and his, don't expect him to fix you, right? Um, he's not qualified for that, even if that were his job description. And, um, hey, hey, y'all, I get it, right? Like, there are a lot of leaders out there. Like, I think for... A lot of us were kind of born into the world looking for somebody looking for us, looking for somebody who will, who will in some sense, operate as a father figure who will he'll fix our problems and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's right. We should. And that father figure is the Lord. It is, is far too easy to, to end up associating, um, to, to, to put a father figure presence on the man up front because he's speaking the word of God but the word of God is supposed to direct you to the father, the king right um, so turn to him, Jesus had the Pharisees, this is part of, part of their issue is they liked going around being called rabbi, being called father being called these names and Jesus said in Matthew, I think it's 23 he's like don't call anyone on earth your father not because you can't say dad but because you're supposed to have one heavenly father, one person who is your counselor, wonderful counselor, your, your spiritual director, one who will actually truly fix your lives, right? There's that. So we should expect the next lead guy to be a servant who's ready to come alongside people in crisis and point us to our king and to our father. Um, hey. Is that a little hard? It might be. Um, my hope in doing this is that we just, again, give, give name to our expectations. Pull them out, look at them, examine them, and say, where are my expectations? What am I expecting? Um, because here's, here's the truth, right? It's possible we're expecting something that no pastor can provide us. And if that's the case, we need to know that. Um, 
No person can be everything we want them to be. And you want to know why? Because they're just servants. They are just a servant as sin-crippled as you and me. The only difference, I mean, this is not even a real difference, but their, their full-time job is, is pointing us to the one who isn't sin-crippled. It's pointing us to the king. And that, friends, that's what we do as a church. Whether you're up front or not, we are constantly to be pointing each other to the king. So let's look at the king now, all right? Uh, this is what Paul did with the Corinthians. They had, they had all these expectations. They were dissatisfied with Paul. They wanted Apollos. They had all these expectations. And Paul's like, hey, yo, 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 wait, stop. We're looking at the wrong thing right now. We're busy looking at servants. Let's look at the king. So we're going to look at the king and his work, starting in uh, verse 5 through 17. Um, so if you were to just boil this down in a nutshell, what Paul is saying here is... Corinthians, like, y'all seem to think that the church is growing um, and you yourselves are growing because of something I've done or something Apollos has done. Y'all, we're just servants. We're servants in the king's garden. We're, we're, just, we're just masons laying block in, in God's temple. That's what he's saying in, uh, in 10 through 11. Um, God gives growth. He repeats that twice. The Lord, God gives growth. Hey, we all want growth, and I think it's good because growth indicates uh, thing, something isn't dead. It's, it's moving forward, right? We just have to measure growth the right way and not just use numbers. Um, but isn't it a temptation, the predominant temptation for us when we think about growth is to then associate it with people and, and people's performance. And in verses 12 through 15, uh, you can, like... It is true. A laborer can build with gold and precious metals, or they can do shoddy work with wood and hay and all that sort of stuff. You can be a lazy worker in God's kingdom. That is very much possible, right? But Paul's point here is this, that growth isn't about the person or the servant who's tending the garden or building the building. It's about God who empowers that growth, right? Um, and so often, we can be looking at the servant. And what, what Paul's doing right now is saying, Corinthians, shift, shift perspective. Take it from down here, looking at the servant, and look to the king. Look to the king who provides growth. Hey, uh, what I want, the application point here, um, I just want to speak to you if you're, you're a little, if you're afraid. Are you, are you concerned? about what's coming down the pipeline? Are you nervous? That what's, the, what's a dynamic with a new pastor, lead pastor gonna look like? Um, what's that gonna mean for our church? Is we're gonna be the same kind of church and all that sort of stuff? Can I just encourage you? If growth comes from the king, then this work, although servants labor in it, isn't dependent on the sermon. It's dependent on the king, right? And the king's work, this is where the comfort comes, never fails. The king's work never fails. Uh, he, uh, very often, I found this to be true in my life, and I, I don't know if it, if it resonates with you. I've found very often when, when I'm anxious, it's because my perspective has shifted. It's dropped from thinking about the king 
and I'm starting to think about people again, right? So if, if you're feeling anxious and afraid, maybe that's the case. Maybe it could be that um, we're thinking about people. So here's what my encouragement to you would be, is to take those anxieties, take those fears, and bring them to the king. Bring them back up. Because he, again, he wants to hear those. He loves you. He cares for you. Bring your anxieties, your fears to him. And know that his work isn't going to fail. Holy Cross isn't going anywhere. We're, we're a healthy church in a great place. Anybody uh, coming in, like, is going to be blessed by this. Everybody who's, who's kind of popped the hood on our church and kind of examined under it uh, during this whole pastor search process has just been like, I can't believe you all are the kind of church that you are. And even if we were to close our doors tomorrow, the king's work would still go on, Right? Very often, we, we can associate our little expression of what God is doing in our little corner of the kingdom and assume, this is it. No. If we were to close our doors tomorrow, God's work would go forward, and guess what? He would take care of you in the process too. Okay? So, so let that comfort you. Um, it is the king. It's the king's work. So Paul shifts the Corinthians' mindset from, from looking at the servants to looking at the king and looking at his work. So let's look a little bit deeper into that work. Well, what is the king's work? Well, let's look at verse nine. Paul says, y'all are God's field, God's building. In verse 16, he says, y'all are God's temple. Verse 21, so let no one boast in men for all things are yours. All are yours, you are Christ's. Christ is God. What is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, Corinthians, like, you're your string of pastors, whether it's me, Apollos, Cephas, whatever, guess what? They're not the ones that matter. You want to know what the king's work is? Y'all. Y'all. Corinthian church, Holy Cross, you are the king's work. Don't look so much to the person up front, but look to your sister and brother beside you. Y'all are God's work, God's field, God's building. So why would Paul say that? Because in the process of forming these personality cults around their uh, favorite pastors and so forth, the Corinthians actually were tearing each other down in horrific ways. You read the rest of this book and you're like, I can't believe people would do that. This was a messed up church, right? But if, if the main reason for doing church is a connection with the man up front, right, then you're far less likely to do all these other connections well, right? Um, you, you won't connect with your brother and sister in the pew next to you. Uh, you, have, you have to be careful to do that, right? And if that's the case, if, if the, your connection is primarily only with the person up front, then that impoverishes you. Because you're not going to, like, we won't experience the life that God made us for, the change that God made us for outside of the small group communities. Like, that's, that's the catalyst for change. Get in a small group. Do life together. The Lord wants to use that to mold and shape you. And if, and if we miss out on that, because all we're doing is focusing on the Sunday morning experience, um, we'll be impoverished. And the second thing, 
is not only will we be impoverished, but the church will be impoverished. You want to know why? Because we don't have you. You. You matter. The Lord has gifted you with, with talents and abilities. And so many of you are using that in this congregation and blessing the church because of that and growing, I hope. Um, we don't want to miss out on you. You matter. Right? Corinthian church was a church of consumers. And what they ended up finding out was, and this is ironic, right? Uh, the more they consumed, the less satisfied and full they were, right? Um, and they ended up kind of consuming each other and, and their pastors, right? And, but, but Paul's point is, hey, move, shift your focus to the Lord and see what he's doing among his people. Y'all matter. If, if only, not if only, but in large part because of this reason. Because while servants come and go, just like Paul did, like Peter did, like Apollos did, in the span of five years in Corinth, they saw these guys come and go. Servants come and go. Y'all stay. Y'all stay. You're doing life together. And so... The connections that you have with one another will keep you connected. And I think this bears out in, in, in our recent history, right? The connections you all have with one another will keep you connected to the Lord and to each other in seasons of transition and change. And I think that's borne out here at Holy Cross. We have seen, we have seen an incredible stickiness, right? And that, that comes from Jesus and the work that he's doing in building y'all's relationships, that you are, um, you're connected with each other and with the king. So are we connected the way the king would have us? All right, let's wrap this up with a look at the king and his glory. Because, hey, ultimately, where was it that the Corinthian church went wrong, right? Well, they went wrong in this they lost sight of the one who ultimately matters in the kingdom, right? The king, the guy on the throne. They had lost sight of that and said they built their identity, their worth, their glory around servants. And they had missed their king. Friends, this is about King Jesus. From the get-go, Holy Cross has been about King Jesus. It is still about King Jesus. You know who it will be about tomorrow? King Jesus. King Jesus is the one who matters, right? He is the one who, who, who's worthy of all glory because without the king, what do we got? We got nothing, right? Without the king, we don't have word to feed us. Without the king, we don't have a leader. Without the king, we have no counselor and, and father in our crisis, uh, one to guide us into healing. Without the king, we don't have a work to engage us, a people to connect us, a glory to bask in. Only the king belongs on the throne. Everything, everything exists for him. Only the king deserves honor and glory and everyone and everything just points to him, points to King Jesus. Um, and you can see, right, why Paul was saying, hey, What's Apollos? Who, who's Paul? Y'all, you don't walk into the CEO's room 
and then get fixated on uh, the, the janitor, for example, right? You don't, you don't walk into the king's throne room and then start talking to the butler. The king, the king is what matters. The king is the one who is on the throne. The king is worthy of all glory and honor. The rest of us, we're just servants. Every one of us pointing to the king. So are you here for the king? And if so, I got good news for you. Here's the good news. The king's not going anywhere. And he and he alone can shoulder our deepest longings and satisfy them. All right, so if we're, if we're going to wrap all this up, what would Paul say? We, how, how, what, how should we shape our expectations? What do we think about the new lead guy coming in, right? Um, we can pray and anticipate a good preacher who will communicate the Lord's truth in an understandable, engaging way so that we can respond to that truth. We can, we can expect a leader who will pray and seek the Lord's direction for our church, who will actively give thought, prayer, effort to advancing his work here. Uh, someone who equips us as a church to do the same thing. We can expect a, 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 a counselor who will come alongside people in crisis and point us to our king and father. But more than anything, like Paul, like Apollos, like all, all pastors and, and folks who have served before them. Our next lead guy, he's gonna be a servant, right? A servant, and he's gonna delight in that role. A servant who points us to the king. The only one who can meet our needs and our yearnings for a savior. And the only one who's worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. Can I just say this? Um, Jesus has given us himself. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus has given us himself. If I can repent publicly before you all, uh, I am so often looking for Jesus anywhere and everywhere but where he can be found. In him. That's what he wants for you. So let me ask you. It might not be next lead guy, but I guarantee you, you probably have somebody in your life that you're looking to for, as Jesus. Who is that? Who, who are you looking to, to to meet that need? Because they're going to get crushed under that. But positively, Jesus wants you to have that need met. So he invites you to him. Look to the king. Look to the king. He, he alone can satisfy us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would make this real for us. Um, Lord, you matter and you alone. And we just want to repent for a little bit. Um, all the places where we have sought identity, where we've sought meaning, where we've been like the Corinthians and, and try to find our value in something other than you. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray that you would shave, uh, shift our hearts, shift our perspectives. Let us, let us look at the king. Let us, let us delight in him. Let us delight in what you have done, Lord. And in that process, would you make us better servants, a people who will love one another well, who will point each other to you, and a people who will be a blessing to Stanton and our surrounding neighborhoods. And Lord, we pray this in your name because, Jesus, you are worthy of it and deserve all glory.
Amen